Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Vinny LeCavier will have his number four jersey retired by the Tampa Bay Lightning Saturday night. It's tough to imagine it right now. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, I saw, like I said earlier, a little, a little bit of what Marty went through and... Uh, I guess maybe until it happens, and, and, and you know, it was like winning a Stanley Cup. I, I, I'm always wishing. Uh, I always wished after I won that in you know, '04, after we won, I'm like, I want to win another one because it feels like you don't appreciate as much when you're on the ice. You're just so excited and like you don't even realize what's going on. So, um, so as far as Saturday night, I, I'm really gonna try to, you know, uh, live that moment like you said, and 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 enjoy every every second of it and. Like I said earlier, to, to be with your kids and, and, and my parents, my brother, my sister, my friends that are coming from, from Montreal, everybody together. Um, you know what? I don't have to play after. I'm just kind of, <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you get to enjoy the whole night. Um, yeah, that's for sure. That's going to be my mindset for sure. We talk all things Le Cavier and the Lightning today on this Friday edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Steve Versnick's our producer. And hey, have we found Tom do- Jones yet? Well, I was just going to introduce him. Why do you keep jumping in there with this Tom Jones? I've oh, been, Tom Jones is Tom, our guest. I've been worried about who's him. Who's Tom Jones? Who's Tom Jones? <laughs> What's happening, babe? Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. You, you know what? I get this uh, question on, on everywhere now uh, on uh, Twitter. Is it what, what happened to him? And not only are you not on the podcast every day, but you haven't been in the newspaper either. People are worried about you. You've, you've been ill. Worried or excited? I'm thinking one or the other, actually. Probably a bunch of people thought that I got fired, which is probably a good thing for them. No, I'm, I've been sick. This is the worst I've ever been in my life. It's the second year in a row I've got the flu, and I'm just now getting over it. I've lost 10 pounds, eating nothing but Wendy's cheeseburgers and Frosties. <laughs> it tastes First, good. How does that happen? How do you lose weight eating I don't Wendy's? know. I used, to, I used to eat that all the time, and I'd gain 10 pounds in a week. But now it's the only thing I can eat. It's the only thing that tastes good. That's but crazy. it's only one a day, yeah. So, No, I'm back. I'm back. I'm feeling better. I'll be back in the paper soon. So how are things with you? What's You're back from Minnesota. You survived the, the Arctic blast. Oh, my God, Tom. I don't know. I seriously don't know how you live there. I don't know why anyone would want to live there. I don't care how beautiful it is the rest of the year. It was minus <laughs> 7 one day, um, and... You feel yourself, this is the only way I can describe it, is when you walk outside, you literally can feel yourself starting to die. Yeah. I got some weird eye infection as a result of it because my eyes froze, and I think it caused, like, a, a cube in my socket or something. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but, like, I'm telling you, it was, and, and your skin starts to flake off like a snake. It does, you, yes. It, you can't breathe. You, if you try to inhale the air when it's that cold, your lungs freeze. It's just so weird. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's deadly. It is. It's not. It's it's deadly, and it's uh, I'm, and it's bad being sick there. I'm glad I was back here. Oh, what happened? Can't imagine. So no, but me and Malcolm Butler are hanging out for the last couple of days. So we'll, uh... <laughs> yeah, you'd made as many plays as Malcolm did in that Super Bowl. <laughs> what the hell? That's the weirdest thing I've ever. That in this Josh McDaniel story, I haven't talked to you since that either. Right. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard. 
Well, it's it's. It, I think the Patriots have now established themselves truly as the evil empire. If there was ever any doubt about you know just how hated they are outside of New England, this locks it down, doesn't it? You you tweeted about this the other day, Rick. This this is goes back to Parcells when you think about right. it. Part of like right. Parcells sort of sort of jerking the bucks around twice, twice, uh, and then and then you watch the two Bills thirty for thirty, mm-hmm. and you see that Belichick sort of did the thing, same thing to the Jets twice, and and now Josh McDaniel. No wonder this all goes back to Bill Parcells. You just don't treat people this way, do you? Or I don't know, well, maybe. I mean, what's your thought on this? Is are you cool with what McDaniel's did? Do, do you no. get it? Do you under, is there no or what? No, I think he carried it too far. And like I said, I lived the other half of that with the Parcells thing twice here in Tampa Bay. And you know, with with Bill's situation, it was in some ways it was worse because they actually fired a Hall of Fame coach because they thought they were going to get him. And I'm not sure they would have done that with Tony Dungy had it not been Parcells that was coming. So Tony got fired. Parcells then, you know, is the runaway bride for the second ownership group of the Bucks, And then, you know, it, it, it just leads to 30-something days. And it was the same thing where there were, you know, there's going to be Colts assistants that were going to come there and work for Josh McDaniels. Well, Bill, Bill Muir was, you know, in Tampa only because right. Bill Parcells said to hire him. So it's, uh, it's arrogance. It's, I don't know. I'm sure that there was a lot of, I said this the other day, a lot of glee by Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick that they were able to get over on the Colts, who, of course, you know, they hold responsible for all the deflate gate stuff. Right, right. Well, it's a, it's a shame because I don't, I don't know that Josh McDaniels ever gets another job with anybody else other than the New England Patriots. I wouldn't hire him, I don't think. But on the same time, I'm waiting to hear more about, you know, how much – I'm curious how much longer uh, Belichick will be there. You know how much did they make a promise to McDaniel's? He's gonna be the next head coach. Of course they did. It's just a yeah. They of must, course they but did. It's, I, when all it's before a, this all started, I talked to people that know him very, very well in the business, coaches, and they because you know we thought maybe the Bucks might have an opening, and that would make sense for Jason Light, who has a New England background. And they told me under no, Josh isn't leaving New England. I was like, what? I said he could be a head coach again. You tell me he wouldn't go anywhere. He goes, no. I was like, why? He goes, because he gets paid like a head coach now, and he's the coach in waiting for Belichick. That's what I was told. What happened? He stays there. Of course he's going to be the next head coach of the Patriots. Were, were you surprised at Dungy's reaction? Like Dungy, that was a strong reaction from He's guy. still like going after no- him. Out of nowhere it came. Like Nobody even asked him. He, like, he like <laughs> volunteered that information. He, he's still going after him. He went after him again today on Twitter. You That's just amazing. don't do that. Yeah, so I think there's a little sensitivity. With Tony, he's got it on both sides, right? He's been the victim sort of of that, if you will, of a coach that sort of pushed him to the sidelines. Not that, not that the Colts are going to keep you know their coach. I mean, he was long fired, but right. um, still, in all, I'm sure there's you know, like you said, he knows that this started with Parcells, and and then of course you know he's he's a Hall of Fame coach of the Colts, and he likes you know their owner Jim Irsay, and and you know feels like he was mistreated. So I don't know. It's uh, it's you're right. It is rare that uh, Tony's been in the news a little bit, man. He's, he's been getting a, get a little pushback on a lot of things. But anyway, we want to talk about uh, Vinny LeCavier. And, of yes. course, Saturday night uh, he's going to have his number four retired uh, there at Amelie Arena. And uh, I believe it's only isn't it only the second number they've retired, or how many have they retired now? Well, I'd say, like, Marty St. Louis had his number retired a year ago, and I right. think that's it. That's yeah, it. I don't that's think it. they're – That's it. Yeah. That's number it. Two. Okay. And I don't well, know I want... that there's another one lined up yet. I mean – I don't, after this, I don't know that like Brad Richards' number is not going to be retired. I don't think. Um, 
And this, so this could be it for a while of, of guys having their, their jerseys retired. Was there ever any discussion, you think, and, and we'll get into LeCavier's career a little bit, Was you think there was ever a thought of doing Vinny first and then Marty? See, I thought so. I thought I thought that's a pretty good point. I thought they were going to do it first, and I, and I guess the reason they did, I think chronologically, that's the way it went down in terms of their retirement. Uh, Vinny true. actually hung hung on a little bit longer than yeah. Marty St. Louis, um, so I think that they just decided to, to do it in order that way because that that's the, the order in which they retired. But I always thought Vinny would be the first one, and even though Vinny. Is you know Marty? If I think if you look back, I think Marty is the career leader in, in a lot of in a lot of things, including points. I still think of Vinny as being the face of the franchise more than any other player in the history of the franchise. Again, Marty probably has more awards, mm-hmm. uh, maybe had a better career, uh, but in, in terms of face of the franchise, I still think it's Vinny Lecavier from if we're talking about all time face of the franchise. Well, and part of that is because he was their first overall pick uh, in the entire draft in 1998, just an 18-year-old. You, you remember uh, back in those days, I guess Art Williams was the was the owner at that time. So he a bud or a stud. And he called him right off the bat uh, the Michael Jordan of hockey. No pressure there. You know, I, I hope that I, I maybe lived up to the expectations. And it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I, like I said, I came here at 18 years old and – um, as far as performance-wise, I mean, there's ups and downs during your career, but you know, outside the rink, you know, you hope that you um, that people think that you did your best to, to to be part of this community and to be, you know, to and how you were with the team, and um, you know, it's nothing's perfect. The career is not perfect for for anybody, um, but yeah, you 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 hope that people, you know, at least. Think that. How much was expected of this guy in the NHL when he came when he came to the Lightning? Uh, people were comparing him at the time to Eric Lindros, to, to Mario Lemieux as being clearly the number one pick in the draft. I think number two was David Leguan, who turned out to have a pretty decent NHL career, just sort of a uh, just a, a, a regular type of player, a consistent player, but not a great player by any means. No, Vinny LeCavier was supposed to to bring a championship here. He was supposed to be there, Michael Jordan. It's funny that when Art Williams said that, everybody went crazy, like, oh, you can't say that about about a kid. But I kind of think deep down, a lot of people are thinking like, yeah, this he's the number one overall pick. He's the the highest rated prospect since Lindros, since, since uh, Lemieux. He is supposed to be the next Michael Jordan. He is supposed to be a superstar. In a lot of ways, his career never panned out that way, but in a lot of ways it did, too. He did bring him a championship. His name is on the Stanley Cup. Um, but when he first came here, yeah, there was immediate pressure to, hey, you need to turn this thing around right away. And it it took time. If you look back at his his rookie year, he didn't have a great rookie season. He only, I think he scored maybe 10, 12 goals, something like that. So he wasn't an immediate impact player. You knew there that he was going to be a star someday. But, yeah, the the expectations right out of the gate from, from Art Williams made it seem like, he needed to be not only Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan that season. And we all knew it was going to take a while. What was his biggest uh, deficiency? I mean, as an 18-year-old, you'd say, well, or, you know, age, yeah. obviously, and, and maturing physically. But what, what part of his game was NHL ready, and, and what had he not figured out? Physically, he was ready, I think, to play at that level, even though he was, uh, you know, he got bigger and stronger as his career went on, obviously. But, you know, at 18, he was still six foot, you know, whatever, he, six foot three, six foot four, whatever he was. Um, and and he could handle himself that way. I think maturity was a big issue for him early on. There were a lot of expectations. He was supposed to be the superstar. And I think, you know, here's a kid that was struggling to not only learn how to, to play in the league, but also learning how to deal with the media, his English 
wasn't great. He was, you know, he spoke it, but not as well as he does now. Um, and he was also expected to lead the franchise. And you had uh, Jacques Demers was his head coach, who didn't give him a lot, whole lot of um, sort of structure. Uh, and so I think it's sort of just dealing with everything off the ice as much as with on the ice. And then clearly every time a player comes into this league, they think it's going to be easy. And you realize it's hard to play defense at this level. And that's the hardest thing for an 18 year old kid. Who's always used to scoring, you know, 140 points a season to suddenly become a defensive player. So those are the things I, he struggled with early on. You know, it's funny though, a, a lot of credit uh, and everybody says, well, how hard was it to take Vinny LeCabia with the first pick? Anybody could have done that. If you go back to right before that draft, <clears throat> um, Phil Esposito made a trade with the San Jose Sharks, and it involved uh, trading Brian Marchment. And part of that deal was, here's the, you know that that f- the Florida Panthers had traded a pick to the San Jose Sharks, and part of the deal was, if the Lightning with this deal with Brian Marchment, what they said was, whoever ends up winning the lottery, whether it's Florida or us, we get the higher pick. And it seemed like a throwaway trade at the time, just something to throw into the deal. And San Jose agreed to it. Turns out Florida won the the lottery, which had San Jose and San Jose had to oh, pick. Wow. So Florida actually, or the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, actually it wasn't their pick they used to pick LeCavier. It was the Florida Panthers pick, which was one pick higher. Again, it was a subtle little thing. It was at the time the deal was made. It didn't seem like it was that big a thing. But Phil, give Phil credit for being smart enough to say, "Hey, if we don't win the lottery and you guys win the lottery, we get that pick instead." And San Jose agreed to it because they wanted the veteran defenseman and Brian Marchman. So just sort of a little. Um, subplot do you, do you to, remember to that draft who was number two? Yeah, David Leguan was number two. He was a guy that they picked. Uh, I think it was, I want to say the Nashville Predators had the second pick because they were an expansion team coming into the league at that time. I, um, and it was a, uh, again, David Leguan, nice player, played a long time in the NHL. Um, but never a superstar, and certainly there was a huge difference between LeCavie and Leguan, but a nice and smart pick by uh, by Phil Esposito. What kind of a team did the Lightning have? I mean, when he came here, was there was there a very good team in, in place that no. he just added to? No, they were awful. They were right. awful. They were one yeah. of the worst worst teams in the NHL, and uh, you know, they were a year away from firing Jacques Lemaire and bringing in Steve Ludzik was going to end up being their head coach. No, it was it was a, it was a franchise that was a mess at the time. They had brought Jacques Lemaire in to sort of be the to to um, be the head coach, and um, he had replaced Terry Crisp the year before, and it was no, it was a team that had a long way to go. It was not not very good. It didn't have many veterans. They had mm-hmm. a couple of guys, but certainly guys looking to maybe either extend their career or move on somewhere else. So again, he didn't have a whole lot of. Uh, leadership to look up to. He had sort of learned on the fly, which was what made everything he did so impressive. It wasn't until a few years later when he got joined by people like Brad Richards and Marty St. Louis and eventually Dave Andrushuk and Tim Taylor and people like that. Yeah. that he actually learned what it was like to be a an NHL player and to be a veteran in the league and how to play at this level. Um, but he had to learn a lot of that on his own the first year or two. They made him a captain almost as soon as he came to the NHL. Yeah. And then in comes John Tortorella. Who quickly took that away? First two years were tough. I got to tell you. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't easy. Um, you know, I was given a lot my second season at nineteen and twenty, and I think Torch probably saw something and he said, "Well, you know, maybe it's time to wheel it back in a little bit." And you know, when you're given a lot, then it's tough to to get it kind of taken away from you. Um, so yeah, it was a tough transition for a couple of years, but you know, now looking back and I say it cause I had uh, Daryl Sutter as well in my last year, 
Um, I, I think the the when the best I was playing hockey is when a coach was like torts all over the players, uh, and, and you know in a good way, but like. Um, he really like there's there's no breaks. I mean during the season there's 82 games. There's no nights off, and he pushes you to be better. And uh, I realized that you know many years later, um, you know we, we won the cup together. So I mean uh, he did a lot of good things towards for me, and um, I'm, I'm really happy I went through that rough you know couple years because after that I think it really helped me for the long run and for and for other coaches as well that you got after that. Uh, The clash with Tortorello and him was almost immediate, wasn't it? Pretty much, and it lasted a very long time, and if it wasn't for Jay Feaster, it probably would have ended a different way. Those two guys didn't get along. I think as much as John Tortorello respected veterans and respected players that that played at high levels, um, there was was a personality clash between him, and not only between him and Vinny, but between him and a lot of the veterans on his team. But there came a point where Vinny didn't want to play here anymore. Tortorella Mm -hmm. didn't want him here anymore. And Jay Feaster called both of those guys in and said, look, here's the deal. I'm not going to be the guy that's known for trading Vinny LeCavier, so you guys better work it out. I'm not trading him, and I'm not firing him. So you guys, he closed the door. He said, you guys better figure this out because you're both going to either be here or you'll both be gone. It wasn't, you know, so it they wasn't realized. One or the other, right? Yeah, no, there was no power struggle to be had. I mean, it was basically, look, we're going to win a Stanley Cup with you as our head coach and with you as our captain. So figure it out. And uh, eventually they did, and and they and they worked things out. But it was a, yeah, you know, it was not a good relationship from the start because he felt like Tortorella felt like he wasn't getting enough out of Lecavier, and Lecavier admitted later, yeah, he didn't push himself as hard as he needed to push himself. He needed to get more out of Vinny LeCavier, and Vinny LeCavier eventually realized that. But, no, it was there was a time. I was convinced LeCavier was traded. And I think there was a time there where they had a deal done. And finally, you know, Jay, like I said, Jay Feaster walked in and said, this is crazy. I'm not going to do this. The best trades you made are the ones you never make. Exactly. Um, simple exactly. as that. You mentioned Brad Richards, who came in, I think, uh, around uh, a year later or so. Right. Um, as did Marty from Calgary, who at the time, Marty St. Louis was not a superstar yet. No. Uh, he was about to become one. But um, I remember, and this goes you know, back to when they were paired, that Brad Richards and Steven Stan- – I'm sorry, not Steven Stan- – but Brad Richards and, and, Mar- and uh, Vinny were – they were the poster boys of, of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Those were two young, good-looking guys – uh, I still remember. I you know my, I think my son has a poster of them um, from when he was very young. That was that was quite a pairing. And and how were those two guys as well? I mean, those two they came in together. They came uh, they or came in a year apart, but they came from the same junior team. They grew up together, mm-hmm. played hockey. They'd known each other since they were little kids. Um, when they came here, I everybody anticipated that Lacavie was going to be the great player. No one I think expected Brad Richards to turn into what he turned into. He was. You know, he had put up huge numbers in juniors, but he was small. It was a league, the Quebec League, where there was a, you typically get higher scoring players, and that doesn't translate necessarily. It's almost like the, the Pacific Coast League in baseball. You look at their numbers, and you're like, uh, how much is this is real, and how much is this the league that they're playing in? Um, so when, when Brad Richards got here, uh, they, they sort of um, they, they had this immediate connection. It's funny, as years went on, they sort of grew apart from one another, at least for a little while. I think they're buddies again, but um, really, I didn't yeah, know it was yeah, it was weird. After it was Richard's a, trade, or, or no, it was like sort of at the end. They, they had both been here for huh. a while, um, and I think they've. It was like one of those things, like boy, you knew each, you've known each other your whole life, and who's getting credit for this, and who's getting paid more, and 
who's more, who gets more, who deserves more. It was just a, it was just, I think a rivalry between the two of them that eventually grew to a point where, um, you know, maybe Richie thought that Vinny was a little coddled and maybe Vinny thought Richie was, uh, you know, sort of a brown noser with, with Tortorella. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot happened that, Eventually, it was water under the bridge. I, I think it was silly when you look back at it now. But yeah, I think there was a time at the end of their careers that, or at least the end of their careers here, where they weren't as good of buddies as they were earlier in their career. And they, but plus, they grew older. You know, they got Vinny. You know, he had a, he had a girlfriend, and, and Richie eventually got married. So, I, you know, you just grow up, and you grow a little. Sometimes you grow apart from one another. Again, I think they're they've always remained close, and they still are to this day. But it was it was interesting near the end of the time here in Tampa Bay that I think they grew a little bit apart. It would be fair to say. Well, it sounds a lot like Rick and Tom. You described there it you that go. way. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. One was a little coddled and, you know. Yeah. And the next yeah. thing you know, it's like, what, did one of them die? And did he fired? <laughs> yeah. What happened? Exactly. One got the flu. Um, yeah. So I, I just thought it was interesting the way they were marketed because they, they did have something going there. And then, of course, Somehow, Marty St. Louis, I mean, if you were looking at, and I know Dave Anderchuk, you know, was was the captain, and he became the guy maybe that pushed him over the top, and they kept adding and adding, and um, got Javi Bullen as goaltender, and so that, right. that eventually that old 4 team came together, but Marty St. Louis, uh, and listening today, uh, as I'm doing this podcast, you know, I know LeCavier was interviewed and talked about, he had been hearing about Marty St. Louis since he was 10 years old. Obviously, we have a lot of history together, and... Um, you know, for me, it goes even. He doesn't know this, but it goes even further because I, I, wa- I think I've told you guys this before, but I've, uh, I kind of grew up watching Marty. I mean, not every game, but he would always play against my brother, and um, you know, so I always heard the name Martin St. Louis when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, and uh, you know, to, for me to play with him and and have the opportunity to do that, and and for him to kind of, I don't want to say come out of nowhere, but you know not playing in Calgary and then coming here and having the impact that he did and, you know, us being t- together for so long and, you know, playing together on the same line, you know, winning a Stanley Cup. I mean, obviously there's there's a lot of history with us, with us and it's definitely an honor for, for my number to, to be next to his. What was Marty's influence on Vinny? Because I could see, you know, as Marty's star, star grew, Le Cavier did, didn't just go into the shadows. I mean, they became quite a scoring tandem. No, they, they didn't. I think Marty's... Marty did two things, I think, for Vinny. One was, I think he gave him another player to... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Play with who is extremely talented. Because when right. Vinny got here, he wasn't surrounded by much of anything in terms of talent. Um, I think the other thing that Marty did was, and I, and I think Marty did this for a lot of guys that he played with over the years is, you know, here's Vinny LeCavier, number one overall pick sort of spoon fed in the league, superstar right away. Michael Jordan captain immediately out of the gate. 
um, you know, on posters. Marty St. Louis was like the undrafted kid from from a college in Vermont, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of the hard way. Nobody give him a chance. Undrafted free agent, short, not you know, physical, short. Yeah. yeah, everybody's given up on him. And says he's over. You know, he's never going to make it. So, sort of that hard work. And when people look at Marty and say. Wow, if Marty can do what he's doing, why mm-hmm. can't the superstar? So I think he, I think there was sort of, and it's not like he came off with that attitude. I think, um, you know, again, Marty was a very unassuming player, even among his amongst his teammates. But I think people looked at him and said, "Wow, if if he can do those sort of things, why can't I? Can I push myself the way Marty is?" So I, I think Marty, that was part of Marty's influence on Vinny was you know, was to help him become all he could, all he could be. But at the same time, he also, like I said, gave him a really good player to play with. And then of course we remember, uh, you know, when they make it to the Stanley cup finals, um, just an incredible series. Marty has that goal in game six. Um, I think Richards might've, was he the most viable player of that? Yeah. 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 He was a consummate consummate winner. And yet LeCavier had huge, you know, huge, goals and played a key I mean I guess he assisted on the on the uh, if you the go winning, back and clutching yeah, goal yeah if you go back and look at the the second goal to put up uh, to put the lightning up two to one in that game and, and Ruslan Fedotenko scored both goals that game but if you go back and ever look at the replay of the second goal it's on YouTube it's awesome um, Vinny LeCavier gets the puck and makes a dazzling move and as soon as he makes a pass to Ruslan Fedotenko he gets absolutely destroyed I mean it's the it's one of the hardest hits I've ever seen a player take to make a pass. And he immediately popped up. He was fine, but he got absolutely destroyed on the play and it set up Ruslan Fedotenko for the goal. And uh, that gave the Lightning a 2 nothing lead. They held on 2-1 to one to, win the, to win the Stanley Cup. But I remember talking to Vinny the day before Game 7. <clears throat> we were back in, it was the day after the Lightning had won Game 6. Marty St. Louis scores in overtime, double overtime in Calgary. And we came back and I remember I just, I had Vinny to myself. It was really cool that I got him alone in the locker room around a corner from uh, from from where they change. And I said, this is why they brought you here. And he said he could not wait. He he knew he wouldn't be able to sleep that night. But his entire career was built for that moment. And uh, and I remember talking to him the game after the game seven. And he said, that's I could quit now and I'd be perfectly happy. And that's the thing, like with guys who are number one overall picks, whether it's like Sidney Crosby or Lindros or Lemieux or whoever, like the only one thing matters, and that's winning a Stanley Cup. And he even admitted to me that, Everything after that, like the rest of his career, was going to be fine because he had done what he was brought there to do, which was to win a Stanley Cup. And from that point on, he was a different player. He was much more relaxed. Um, he, he didn't put as much pressure on himself. Uh, I thought he, I thought he became a, a veteran. At, like the, he became a much more relaxed, calm, confident mm-hmm. player because the one thing that was always hanging over his head was, well, he's never won a cup. You got to win that's, a cup. You know, I, yeah, I mean that's a big thing in hockey. Like if you never have your na- name on the cup. You know, until you do that, it's it's the first line of your of your Wikipedia page. You know, he never won a cup, and once he did that, he knew that that um, that his the rest of his career would never be seen as a failure after that. The funny thing is, we all thought they would win like two or three after that. I did, and right. then the lockout came, the lockout and then free him, agency yeah. started. People started leaving, and mm-hmm. and they never got back there again. And Vinny never got back uh, again with the Lightning, and it was. Uh, it was a shame because that team probably should have won a couple more cups. I think this is true. Interesting, uh, fun fact to know: the two world championship teams in Tampa Bay, the Lightning in 2004, the Bucks winning the the Super Bowl, um, the 2002 season. Neither team visited the White House. Wow, correct? I didn't realize. Yeah, no, I mean the Lightning would not have. You're right because there was a lockout the next season. 
And with and the so, Bucks, it was a golf war. Oh, wow. Okay, so I didn't even realize the Bucks never went. Yeah, and they didn't then, go either. The funny thing was, Vinny LeCavier and Brad Richards and Nikolai Hobby Bullen all went to Russia during the lockout the next season. And you did too, and, right? And I did. I went over to visit them. Now, in the meantime, as Dirk Shad, who was a photographer at our paper, uh, and I were on our way over, Brad Richards got hurt. So Brad Richards came back home. He ended up, I forget if it was a knee injury or something, oh, he ended up coming home. But I ended up hanging out with Vinny LeCavier for five days uh, in Russia, Nik- Nikolai Hobby Bone was there as well. And it was one of my favorite moments of my career to hang out with Vinny LeCavier for five days in, in Kazan, Russia, which is like an hour and a half away. He told me stories, like my favorite story. And I, I said, you know, what's it like being there? And, and he got paid a million dollars tax-free. It was basically like, here's wow. a check for $1 million to come play in Russia. And that's back when, you know, guys, you know, in the NHL. A million dollars was a lot of money. A yeah. million dollars was a lot of money, yeah. Um, which, interestingly enough, by the way, I think when Vinny LeCavier quit, I'm not sure if it's the case anymore, but I believe the day he retired from hockey, he had made more money in the National Hockey League than any player in the history of the game. Like, mm. he had been, the, he had made more money than any player ever. But anyway, so so we go over there, and I said, what was it like? to?" And, he, and for the most part, he liked it. He lived in a hotel that was uh, sort of an American hotel. They served American food. It was very easy. Now, the, the games were were hard, and they, they practiced twice a day, and it was a lot more work than he thought it was going to be. But one of the cool one one of the cool stories, but one of my favorite stories was he got the flu. Speaking of the flu, he got the flu while he was over there, and he had to use a bathroom. And he said, "Look, I, I need to use a I need to use a restroom at, at an airport, like in Siberia." They were, and they said, "Oh, it's in that room right there." And he opens up the room, and it was a room with a dirt floor and a hole in the middle. And that was all there was. And he had to go to the back. And I said, I said, so what? He goes, so I went there and there was like no toilet paper, nothing. And I says, what did you do? He goes, I had to look through my wallet and, for money to sort of take care of myself. Oh, wow. he, goes, it, he goes, it cost me like 25 <laughs> rubles to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but it was, it was they, again, it was like, he thought it was actually kind of funny. And that actually led some insight into LeCavier that, he looked at it as an experience that that he could have stayed here. He didn't. He really didn't need the money. Although who's going to turn down a million dollars? But uh, that's how much he enjoyed just playing the game and how much he enjoyed um, new experiences. He was glad to do it even after Richie went home, and uh, and had a great time. Then he ended up coming back, obviously the next season. But it was never the same with the Lightning again because they had some playoff seasons after that. He had some fifty. He had a fifty goal season after that. Right. But um, but it was. You know, sort of the highlight of his career here was the Cup in 04. Yeah, that's 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 an, uh, an amazing story. I, I did want to go back just real quickly because this is one of the things that that he's sort of remembered for. He wasn't a guy that got in a lot of fights, right? But there was the one no. against Jerome Aginla. Down in line of the net by Fedotenko, and he's after it again himself. Camelier comes up. He's bumped. He and Aginla there. Two big stars in these teams. And it behind the net. Centering pass. Spoiled. checking each other and now they're throwing punches boy these are two big guys are going to go for major penalties both coaches are going to be holding their breath but neither one of the big offensive stars get hurt in this fight it's a noble but not very sensible idea by either one of them let your fighters fight and the dancers dance no, that's great. That's a great memory. I completely forgot because that sort of turned the tide of that series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's two. 
those are arguably the two best players on each team, although Marty was, yes. was the MVP that year. But, you know, Jerome McGinley, who's a who's an honest, good player. Vinny LeCavier, an honest, good player, never cheap shots right. on either side, um, never looking for fights. And they decided to, to drop the gloves. They're buddies to this day. But, um, yeah, it was, it was one of the cool moments. And, again, it showed you just how physical that series, how much it meant uh, for each player to try to, to lead his team. But yeah, certainly one of the, one of the highlights of that, that, that Oh four series was, was those two going at it. Well, you mentioned he scored, he was the first, I guess, lightning player to score 50 goals. He had 52, um, or I guess back in 07. And, um, I, I'm wondering if, you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, they got into this thing where, you know, he, he had a, uh, gotten an enormous contract from the light. Right. I right. think it was a lot, I don't know, over 20 something million dollars. No, it was 30, 30 something million dollars, I believe. Well, um, and the funny oh, thing was when it when those two, like it was right after the lockout because they right. were trying to figure out how do we sign all these guys. And sure. Jay Feaster sort of worked this deal. It's like, okay, overall, Vinny's going to get the most money be, because the length of the contract and how much they're paying him. But Marty's contract was shorter, but he was making more per year. But right. they were going to try to, you know, and they were trying, but more average per, you know, it was like this. He was sort of playing this shell game so he could go to each guy, Marty, Richie, and Vinny, and say, Hey, you're our highest paid guy, even though yeah. you can't have three highest paid guys. So they sort of had this. He was sort of working this game to try to keep everybody happy, and eventually couldn't keep everybody happy. It turned out Richie was the odd guy out. They end up trading him for a goaltender, um, but it was, uh, you know, he was trying to do his best to to keep everybody happy. And there was this screwy uh, attempt to trade him to the Maple Leaves, and and I think uh, the NHL avoided that, and so they wound up with a situation where uh, he was bought out. Uh, after the 2012-2013 season. I know he went to the Flyers and, and uh, had one okay year there, but in general, I mean, should should LeCavier had finished, because this was his goal to play with one one hockey team, should he have been allowed to finish here, or was it just impossible with the salary cap? It was impossible with the salary cap and as much money as he was making. And, you know, and it, it was a really difficult decision for, for Steve Eisenman. And I also think, too, that, Vinny LeCavie was ready to go. I think he realized that his contract was a burden at that point. He wasn't going to give the money back, obviously. But, um, I, you know, it would have been nice for him to spend the rest of his career. But there was so much time. There was still a, a couple of years, at least, left on that contract. And I, it was it was an impossible situation to keep him. Um, but it was really too bad because, you know, I, I don't know how much you wanted to talk about his off the, off the ice uh, yes, legacy Yes, we're going to talk here. about it. But it was, you know, it was it was more than just – you know, at that point, I think most, even most Lightning fans had looked at his production and realized, yeah, he he's not the, the end, same yeah. guy. Yeah, he's not the same guy. And I think he was looking forward to going to somewhere else and playing. Now, I remember at the time he ended up going to Philly, and a lot of people uh, at the time were like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> don't go there. It's okay to go somewhere, but just don't go to Philadelphia. But um, even a guy like Vinny LeCavier could go to Philly and still um, still have the, the hometown heart you know he they still feel like he's always going to be a member of the tampa bay lighting and of course he he is in a way in that he's come back here to live and, and he's still very much a part of his community but as much as i think he wanted to to would have loved to finish his career it was it just wasn't possible yeah people probably don't remember he actually finished his career in los angeles with the kings right. and uh agreed to to retire um you know when when he was sent there after that um, while he was playing with the Lightning, I think that, you know, if, if there is a player that could probably learn from Vinny LeCavier and probably did, it was Steven Stamkos. I mean, their their paths are very similar, right? 
in terms yeah. of the expectations, the age that they came to the NHL. So how much in, influence was, was Vinny, uh, did he have over Stamkos? I know Stamkos has talked about this. Yeah, he's had a huge influence just by the way, more more so by the way he conducts himself off the ice. I mean, if you look right. at Vinny Lecavia, he was here for uh, he was here for a long time. He was from age eighteen to I don't know, close to thirty. Right. Um, and he was a guy who uh, look, he was young, he was single mm-hmm. while he was here for most of the part, but he never got himself in trouble. Um, he had a good time off the ice, but he was also <laughs> one of those. Yeah, I mean, clearly, I mean, he was, why wouldn't you? He's, he's yeah, a young twenty year old, biggest stars in the area. Yeah. Sure, but uh, but always conducted himself with class off the ice, gave back to the community. And I think that was the big thing that Steven Stamkos has learned from him. I mean, there, there are a lot of guys that can teach you what it's like to, to, to work out and, and to eat right and to, and to play hard and to do the yeah. right things on the ice. But just to handle yourself off the ice the way that, that – uh, if you look at Stamkos, Stamkos, same thing with Stamkos. He's married now, but you know, again, he was a guy who came in here, sort of the world is his oyster and, and could live – any style of life he chose. Um, but he never embarrassed the franchise or the organization. And look, Vinny LeCavier and, and Steven Stamkos both, they went through some hard times in their career in terms of coaches they played for, goofy ownership, and sort of a, a train wreck at times and a circus at times. And for them to, uh, to never really criticize the organization publicly, to never embarrass the organization, to never force their way out, there were a lot of times where Vinny LeCavier could have left he could have gotten. He could have demanded a trade, and they would have agreed to it. I'm sure. Same thing with Steven Stamkos. He could have left a couple of times during his career here. Chose to stay, and so I think that's where they sort of learned. That's what Steven Stamkos learned is, hey, treat the community right, and it'll it'll treat you right. Uh, it means a lot. I mean, it's it's something I was I'm 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 really proud of. Um, you know, it's it's something I, I really wanted to do in Tampa. Wanted to get involved and. Um, you know, a lot of guys do it. You know, it's it's uh, you know, look at Stammer. You look at other hockey guys around the league. I think hockey guys in general. Uh, I think once they they make it, they they play a few years. It, it, it almost feels like it's 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 part of us that we we as hockey players want to give back to the, to the community that we're in. And um, you know, the way I felt about Tampa and the way um, you know. Uh, you know, after a few years, I, I just uh, I really love being here. I think it's a, it's a great community, and that's what I I want to do. I want to get involved. I know there's a lot of athletes, professional athletes, that have done a lot in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, but LeCavier donating, you know, making a three million dollar commitment to uh, to all Children's Hospital, where he has the Vinny LeCavier Pediatric Cancer and Blood Disorder Center. Um, that's a legacy, Tom, I'm trying to think if there's many athletes. Um, and like I said, there's been plenty that have had foundations and we think about the Warwick Dunn's and Derek Brooks and, you know, certainly, uh, Longoria has done things, but, um, that may be the best legacy of a professional athlete. It is. And Rick, I mean, you know, this, you've dealt with a lot of bucks players who have been just tremendous with their time. I mean, it's one thing to write checks and that's great because sure. they can, but it's another thing to give your time. And that, that's mm-hmm. the part that, that matters most. We've seen Joe McCoy as somebody like that. Jameis Winston. I mean, these guys go out and actually spend time with people. And that's, that's what matters more. The thing about Vinny LeCavian, and I, and I talked to, I remember when he, when he left the day he got bought out and it was a very sad moment for a lot of people in Tampa Bay, but I talked to one of the moms of a child who had, who had had leukemia. Mm-hmm. Um, and they found out, basically they found out at like six thirty in the morning. And, when they found out, um, because their 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 baby had been taken in the night before, I think it was their baby was two, maybe 
two and a half, three years old, um, <clears throat> going through tests. And the next morning they found out they're here, you know, the worst news they could possibly get that their child has leukemia. And Vinny LeCavier was there. And what people don't realize is not only was he there, was there was no media there. There was nobody there to cover it. Nobody said that he was that he was common. He went there, comforted these these people. And then you realize the night before they had just gotten back from a road trip. Like he had gotten in like at two thirty in the morning. Wow. And there he is at the hospital at seven, spending mm. time with the, with these people, saying, "Look, you're you know these are the best doctors. This is the best place to be. I'll do whatever I can." And I think their their son was just old enough to to sort of recognize you know here's a guy in a lightning jersey. He didn't know who Vinny was, obviously. Right. But supporting um, but, the parents. Yeah. But supporting the parents and also being there and playing with the with the child. Those are the things like again, I I didn't hear that story until like five years after it happened. Right. And it's it's one of those cases where um yeah, it, it wasn't for the media, it wasn't for the publicity, it was because it was the right thing to do. And that's there there's there are stories that hospital's full of stories like that with Vinny LeCavier spending time. And even after he was traded, he said, Look, my commitment or after he was bought out, my commitment is to Tampa Bay and I'm I'm gonna keep working at this at this cancer center and, and doing what I can for Tampa Bay. And like I said, he's back here again and still very much involved in the community. So finally, let me ask you, Tom, because there, there's been uh, quite a few uh, Hall of Fame players, uh, a lot of a lot of great athletes that have played in all sports here in Tampa Bay. Is Vinny LeCavier on that Mount Rushmore? Man, that you know, to me, he's still. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I think I would. I mean, it's it's hard to to. Uh, I mean, I don't know how you, who you, you squeeze, have, squeeze. I don't out, know who you it's... squeeze off because you have you have you have. Um, Obviously, guys like Derek Brooks and and Warren mm-hmm. Sapp and and Leroy Salmon, and and then Marty Saint and Marty Saint Louis. I will say this for for everything he's. If if we're talking about just performance on the playing surface, on the field, on the ice, sure. wherever, I don't know that he's he's a, a Mount Rushmore of Tampa Bay. But if we're talking about just all around person, yeah, like everything he did on the ice, everything he and did off, off the yeah. ice, mm-hmm. everything he did for the community, what he means to the community, what he meant to the franchise right. beyond just scoring goals. Then yeah, he, he would be on my, my much more along with probably along with Derek Brooks and, and whoever, whatever, what other two you want to put on there, but he would certainly be up there with Derek Brooks in terms of, of, what he meant to the community, maybe what Leroy he meant to Selman, the franchise, yeah. Leroy mm-hmm. Selman, yeah. What he meant to the community, what he meant to the franchise, um, on and off the ice. So yeah, he he certainly would be part of part of my Mount Rushmore. And just finally, so we wrap up here with Tom Jones. Uh, what what is where is he now here a resident? Did he make his home in Tampa Bay? Yeah, yeah, he has a place. I'm not sure. I don't know if he's on davis island now or mm-hmm. somewhere out there but, but this uh, is home but this is his this place. is home this is home to him yeah and there were you know there were there were opportunities for him in his career to go back to montreal i don't think he ever uh i don't think i don't think that's something he wanted necessarily because talk about pressure boy playing right. back in montreal um but he also uh you know he has he has three kids i believe he coaches hockey here he doesn't have a kid who plays but goes out and again works with kids coaches hockey and and this is very much and, and the other cool thing about it uh rick when when you People say all the time, "Oh, Marty or uh, Vinny was at the game." Like he's, he doesn't go out of his way to, to sort of be a big shot, but he, he's still very much part of the franchise without um, sort of taking any limelight away from anybody. He's one of the classiest, nicest athletes I've ever dealt with in my career. He's funny, um, and um, again, just a real genuine person. So uh, I think Tampa Bay is very, very lucky to have a guy like that around. 
Benny LeCavier will have his number four jersey retired by the Lightning Saturday night against Vancouver Canucks. And Tom Jones was there for most of his career. And I'm guessing you'll be there for this as well. If I can climb out of my deathbed here <laughs> and get over there, yeah. <laughs> have a Frosty in a, in a, uh, in a Wendy's Single burger. Single with cheese. There You'd be you go. good to go. <laughs> Who does that on a bad stomach anyway? It's the only thing that tasted good, I'm telling you. So LeCavier having his jersey retired just begins a, uh, a big weekend. Actually, before that, it's Ray's Fan Fest. We're going to be there with Steve Versnick uh, for our podcast. Uh, I'm pulling uh, the doubleheader, are you? But you know what? I'd like to. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get a ticket or or a pass to that thing. I will have to call Bill Wickett or somebody because I know it's going to be a sold out event. But that would be quite a day if you go to Race Fan Fest, then you go over to the Tampa Bay Lightning and watch Vinny LeCavier's number be retired. I mean, that's a heck of a day, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, if you're going there, the ceremony starts at six o'clock. So normally the puck drops a little after seven, but it's going to be a six o'clock ceremony. Puck drops push back a little bit. I think seven thirty range or something. Sure. But if you're going, be in your seats early. Six o'clock is the ceremony for uh, Le Calvier. I know Phil Esposito speaking. I believe Marty St. Louis is Brad Richards Marty's and many there. others. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be great. I mean, see the gang all back together again. Join us at Rays Fan Fest. We'll be there from noon to one. You can also watch uh, if you call up Facebook Live on the Tampa Bay Times Sports Facebook page. And you can always reach us, of course, on Twitter at SportsDayTB, at SportsDayTB. We want your comments, uh, your uh, recommendations. Hope you've enjoyed this uh, first week of our uh, new podcast. You can continue to subscribe to us. Steve, where can they go to uh, listen? You can, of course, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. You can go to TampaBay.com uh, slash sports. Uh, you can uh, subscribe on SoundCloud. There's uh, any, way, any way you can get audio, we've got it there. So have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll uh, talk to you on Monday.